Thank you for joining me today for Carl Erickson's Sounds and Words, a podcast with a difference. Today, we're welcoming Nancy Ward to Sounds and Words. Nancy is an author, editor, and speaker. Most recently, she released a new title called Sharing Your Catholic Faith Story, Tools, Tips, and Testimonies. Nancy, what prompted the idea to write part one of Sharing Your Catholic Faith Story, as well as compile all the different testimonies? Why was this so important to you? Well, Carl, thank you for having me on today. Uh, Years and years after my conversion, I began journaling about all the God moments, all the beautiful things that I could remember, the times that God and I drew close close to God. And so um, I had that going. I was journaling about my story. And at the same time, I began to collect stories about other people's conversions, people that had come back from the church or had been through RCIA, or maybe it was a healing or a miracle. So I was collecting those, and I was putting some of those on my blog. And at the same time, I so I had these two things going. I was drawing my story and collecting stories of others that I saw that I approached. Maybe it was someone on, on Facebook or, or mm-hmm. one of my networks. And so I was going along with these two things. And during this time, everything that I read on the Internet or books or everything that I heard at Mass or on the radio always included one scripture. It just stuck out. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. This is uh, 1 Peter 3.15. So pretty soon I had it memorized. It was just running through my head. And I was like, why, why, why is this? Why is this? And I, so I said, well, maybe God was calling me to share my story. But one of my greatest fears is public speaking. So Lord had to get me over that, and that took me yeah. to postmasters. But I, I calmed that fear down a little bit. So I put together a couple of talks about sharing your story. And I offered to give them to a women's group at my church, okay? So I was, I was driving to the venue where we were going to meet, and I heard that still, small voice whisper to me, you're not going there to give a couple of talks. You're going there to start a ministry. Wow, I was really stunned. But God was with me, and together we started the Sharing Your Faith Story ministry with this group of women. So next thing that happened was I was invited to send a video up to a Catholic women's online conference. I thought, well, this is a nice opportunity. So I spoke on the same things that I had told the women. And then I, since I had this footage, I created a DVD through that and divided it into three talks, teaching how to share your story, and that could be used for a workshop. So this, I was just developing this ministry. Right. And when I, when I did more workshops and retreats, I'd always be asked, where's the book? Hmm. So, so I had the how-to with the video teachings, and then I had the stories that I'd been collecting. So I created this combined volume. Uh, The how-to is part one. That's about a third of the book. And then we have 30 stories from uh, Catholics who are converts or people that have uh, had renewal experience in the church or come back to the church after being away for a while, and then a couple of vocation stories. Very diverse group. Very good, very good. 
In the first chapter, you allude to a streamlined version of your own faith story. You said that you married a Catholic and that you gradually found yourself moving closer and closer to the Catholic Church. When did you decide that there was no turning back and that you were going to become Catholic? Well, I tell you, um, after after my marriage, I I really uh, started looking into Catholicism, not so much because of the theology. I mean, I sort of got that in my head, but I didn't feel like I belonged there because I was so entrenched in my own Protestant church. I was not looking for for another denomination. I was not looking to change. I had this beautiful relationship there. I worked at the church, and so it was difficult for me. And, and the hard thing about choosing to marry the man that I that I dearly love was that I had to leave my own. I felt like I had to uh, marry in his church, and I wouldn't have changed that because he was such a devout Catholic. And I prayed for God to give me a devout Christian man. And he did, but he was a Catholic. So yeah. I said, okay, this is a conundrum. What what do I do here? But anyway, I, 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 we talked it over, and, and I realized that it wasn't expected that I convert before the wedding or or ever. So once that was out of the way, I realized that you know this could be a, a, a slow process. It could be a fast process. It could be a, non, a non-conversion process. But I, I knew that he was the one. God had sent me, so we did. That's that was part of the decision. But the, the thing about it was that God arranged was we were just going into the service at that time. There was two years of military service mandatory for the men, and it's just right at the end of the draft. But anyway, um, so we were away from home for more than two years. So I did not go to my denomination. I chose to attend the services of, of the Catholic Church. Even when my husband was away at sea for three or four months, I would still go. So I'm trying out the disciplines of the Catholic Church, which at that time meant no meat on Fridays and trying to follow Latin Mass, because the Latin Mass was still being used in the liturgies. And so we, we were stationed in three different uh, ports. And so I was going to, and the way they did it then, no RCIA, okay? Mm-hmm. I would go to the priest one-on-one, and he would teach me about the Catholic Church. And then we'd, we'd move before I got finished with that one. So then I'd start over again. But I was really amazed at how consistent all these, I had three different priests and three different churches that were telling me the same thing. It was very consistent and very universal. And I'd heard it was a universal church, but I, I, I didn't experience that in my denomination. Okay. About, about the second session of the third priest, he says, Nancy, you know enough to become Catholic. <laughs> you go home, have the priest who married you baptize you. Carl, that was the moment that I knew I was ready. Wow. This was the, the culmination of, of three years of practicing and, and learning and Catholicism, and I knew by the peace in my heart, that's always a sign, I knew by the peace in my heart that I was right in the middle of God's will and that I belonged in the church. Yeah. So I we got like home were, shortly. Like you were coming home. Uh, yeah, and so that's, so we had the, the set, one Saturday afternoon, uh, this priest, Father Burke, who had married us in the cathedral, 
he gave me what I call the grand trifecta of sacraments because he baptized me conditionally as they did in those days, heard my first confession, and gave me my first communion in the cathedral where we married. And it was quite, quite an afternoon. So I'm convinced, Carl, I have to say this, I'm convinced from my background, my strong Protestant faith, that Mm -hmm. falling in love with Phil, my husband, was the only way that God could ever get me into the Catholic Church. (laughs) But I know that he wanted what I wanted. He Mm -hmm. wanted me to have a devout Christian home like I wanted. Mm -hmm. But he wanted that to be Catholic. So I'm very grateful for that. That's wonderful. How how did you think or feel when you attended your first Mass? Was it what you expected it to be, and what kind of impressions do you recall? It wasn't that different, except our Protestant church would have communion service once a month. Mm-hmm. No statues, no confession. We didn't call him Father. Uh, we believed it was symbolic. So some of the language was familiar to me. So that wasn't a complete shock. And I'd been to Masses with my friends who married in the church, in the Catholic Church. So I'd had a taste of it before. But this was just before Vatican II changes, and the Masses that I attended were in Latin. And I always struggled to keep up with the translation was provided on one page and opposite the Latin, and I had to keep going back and forth. And, and the priest was facing the altar and, and not the people, and I didn't know what he was saying. Mm. At the time, I couldn't fi- find where I was going. But you know what? <laughs> it didn't seem too important to most of the people there. Most of them were saying their rosary, and, and then they kneel or sit or stand where appropriate. But hmm. my attitude was one of trying to fit in with what was important to my husband. Hmm. And, and at that time, before we married, while also going to the Protestant church that I loved so dearly. So that's why I decided that after we were away from from home, where we where we married, where, where we both were there in the same town, going to college, uh, I didn't uh, I didn't attend my church because I was determined to, to look for unity in our marriage. And if, if I could if I could do this, I wanted to. And yeah. God helped me out. <laughs> yeah. That that seems like that was an, an important uh, sacrifice to make personally for um for your for your marriage and for your spiritual relationship as well um well one of the things that that was um related to this was that phil's phil's mother was deeply catholic and his father was not and his father was a protestant he didn't ever go to the protestant church he went to mass most of the time and their marriage seemed to work okay so i thought well maybe this is possible i maybe there's that took the pressure off so to speak okay okay uh, what were a couple of the more challenging Catholic beliefs or practices uh, to your Protestant background? Um, for example, for our own family, when we uh, came home to the Catholic Church, I probably have to say that Mary posed a challenge for us for a little while. That was, a, that was something, an element of church belief that was hard to get our minds around at first. That was true of me, too. I, I, didn't, I didn't fully accept Mary as my mother for many years. In fact, it was after my mother's death that I really felt the need to make her my mother personally. I I understood the rosary. We didn't say it regularly as a family, which I regret because uh, my husband works pretty late hours and the kids would usually be in bed before he got home. And so I would 
I would do the pros, I would do the prayers most of the time. We always went to mass. They went to religion classes, but we didn't we didn't do the rosary much at all. And I understood the importance of it. You know, when we go to to the, we go to rosaries, formal rosaries at perhaps a, a wake or something like that. I, I enjoyed doing it. It, it just wasn't part of my uh, habit of, of prayer, and so I didn't really pass that on. My, my children are all pretty, uh, pretty devoted to the rosary now, so, which is wonderful for them because they have maintained their faith through their adult in their coming into their adulthood. So I'm happy for that. And you know, e- even though I didn't feel like I belonged to the Catholic Church. For a long time, I, I realized that I hadn't personalized the teachings. I mean, it was like I, was, I wasn't taking the theology to heart. And so that had to be part of what was the continual conversion of my life. And, and that's uh, that's another story. But okay. I, I, later on, I, I did get into a lot of that, and I'm very, um, very happy I did. And my story and some of the testimonies uh, in, in this book um, come from moments of continual conversion during a retreat or, or adoration or something like that. And so my, my conversion story is in the book, and, it, and it's um, short, sort of part of the how-to. Mm-hmm. My story, I said, this is, how, this is how you can do it. And I took the step that certain steps you can take. And then... I did a chapter, there's a chapter on your renewal, and that talks about your continuous conversion. And then my renewal, sto- amazing renewal story is in there also. So you do have those um, to look at while you're reading about how to do it. Okay, okay. Why is it so critically important for Catholics to be able to honestly uh, art- articulate their own stories of coming home to the Catholic Church? I think uh, for me, because I was a very private person, and uh, I had to overcome um, that adage that our faith is private. We mm-hmm. keep it inside. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to say that your faith is personal, but it's not private. Because I think God gave us our whatever unique life story we have. He gave us that to build his kingdom by sharing it. And Keeping it private doesn't help it grow. Father Robert Barron says that your faith will grow only in the measure that you give it away. So as we, sh- as we show others that we are converted, then they will be converted. Right, right. The word evangelist, which literally means bringer of good news, carries negative connotations with some people because, well, different reasons, chief among them, probably the stereotypical televangelist. That said, who is your favorite example of a truly wonderful modern-day evangelist and why? Well, he's, he's almost a modern-day evangelist. He was the first television evangelist. That's Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Mm-hmm. When I uh, had worked for the Diocese of Dallas for a while, I worked for the newspaper, the Texas Catholic, and then they opened the Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Center for Catholic Evangelization. And I was chosen to go over there and be part of that, you know, do the office stuff for it, be the admin and help do that. And so uh, I, I learned so much from seeing his, his videos of him and mm-hmm. doing teachings, and we worked with those and scheduled them. And, 
And it was just amazing to me. And I've never found anyone that was that impressive since. But I would say maybe um, maybe Father Robert Barron will be be the evangelist, or maybe Matthew Kelly. Uh, I I don't know. Um, I've uh, I think evangelization is tied into our relationships, and so that's that's where. I've been evangelized by people that I've known or gone on trips with or uh, retreats. And the two I think come to mind would be Scott Hahn. Mm-hmm. I've been with him a lot. And John Michael Talbot is a very close friend of mine. They're not, they're not, they're very different, but their teachings uh, are very uh, dear to me. And uh, even uh, one of our contributing authors I met, uh, Greg Wasinski. Oh, yeah. I met the Dallas Ministry Conference, and we got. Uh, he's in here almost every year, and he's in the book, and he is a wonderful evangelist. He, he emceed the conference, and he just, he just really had people. They're excited about evangelization. Well, that's wonderful. And then um, I've been reading uh, and getting to know Gary Zimak quite a bit, and he uh, he's a very down to earth per- person, and he just seems to have a personal message for me. And, and that's why I asked him to write the forward to sharing your Catholic faith story. And, and he tells a little of his story in the forward. And so Greg and Gary, they're both evangelists that not, 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 people, not very many people know about. Yeah. But uh, they're role models because they're laymen and women. And, and you see, we are the ground troops that, that have to win those daily battles. And they're right in there with us. I'm willing to evangelize through our personal stories. And so I, I, I kind of uh, kind of relate to them on a different level than I, than I did uh, Sheen or s- some of the the other ones that I mentioned. Okay, right, right. Yeah, I I totally agree with all of the or um, yeah with all of the names that you mentioned. Some of them weren't a couple of them perhaps weren't familiar, but I know when we were um, shortly after we had come to the, into the Catholic Church, Father Carapi was kind of important for us. Um, yeah. Yes, we I know would, about him. Yeah, yeah, we would listen to him a, a lot, and uh, yeah, it's wonderful to have those those <laughs> powerful voices out there. Gesundheit. <laughs> um, was there a particular testimony from your book that touched you perhaps the most deeply, reminding you of your own spiritual journey? Well, the one that reminds me the most would, was Neil um, Neil's one because he. He was a Protestant, deeply in, into his uh, Protestant church. Uh, I'm talking about Neil Combs, the pharmacist. Mm-hmm. Yes. His, his, uh, his story was quite, quite similar to mine. In fact, when I met him at the Catholic uh, Marketing Network many years ago, and, and uh, he, I saw his book and I reviewed it for him, we, we became good friends, and, and he wrote uh, his, his story for this also. Mm-hmm. Our... our Stories were very, very many parallels. Okay. And he took a little longer to uh, get into the church, and than I did. He, he was um, his children were a lot older than than mine. Mine were just still babies. But that was the one that really uh, appealed to me. Very good. There's more similar. Who were some of your favorite spiritual authors? Who speaks to your heart? Would you say? I think the one that I've 
uh, read most uh, well, the ones I spoke, Skalhan, this one, and, and, and John Michael, believe it or not, is a wonderful spiritual writer. I read all of his stuff, John Michael Talbot. Yes. But uh, Father Jacques Philippe is a favorite of mine. He's a French uh, priest who's still full here with us. He gives retreats in France. Okay. And he just he writes on things like time for God and uh, peaceful things and it's just so deep that I really get a lot of a lot of good out of him. Okay. And also, uh, Father Ranero Catalamesa, his teachings, especially he has a series on a book series that, that I've studied called Sober Intoxication of the Spirit, which is just an outstanding, uh, I think it's a series of two books. And I love John Paul II's writing on Absolutely, yes. New yeah. Evangelization. I just quote him all the time. Yeah, <clears throat> he's wonderful. Uh, while we have some powerful communication tools at our disposal these days, do you think the constant noise and distractions of our culture make it harder to evangelize? How do we cut through all of this noise to spread God's word? I think we cut through it with perseverance and humility. And, you know, we have to use the tools that we have. We, we have... But what we have is, in our church, is we have the truth. We have the fullness of truth, and we have the gifts of the Spirit, and we have the tools of the world. And, and we have to use those tools very responsibly because what we say and do, we, we represent God. We reflect on who He is. And so I think that we have to keep that in mind to... Um, in, in our, all of our dealings on the internet. I, I recently uh, saw a study which was on the 2019 social media trends. So let's talk about so, social media for just a moment. There were okay. five trends. I'll just talk about the first two. Trend number one was rebuilding trust. Okay? These are about uh, brands, companies. So 50% believe of the respondents that they surveyed Agreed in the need they need personalized content, content, and experiences. Okay, so does that sound like stories? Okay, this trend number two was called storifying social media. There's a lot of new uh, story uh, features on Facebook, and they one statistic they gave was that Facebook the Facebook Stories feature plus Instagram and WhatsApp and Snapchat combined have 711 million daily active users. Mm. So you have this combination. Stories on these um, media apps are growing 15 times faster than the feeds. Mm. And I thought that was amazing. So people are looking for those they can trust. And they're wanting to read more stories. See, that's our opportunity to mm -hmm. share stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we keep those things in mind that we can use those tools with the other things that we have, with our gifts of the Spirit and our, our fullness of truth. Yes. I understand that you give workshops and retreats on a kind of spiritual journaling. Is this similar to keeping a diary of one's thoughts and reflections, or is it more than this? 
It's more than that. It, it's, um, I devote an entire chapter on journaling because that's how God speaks to me. And I find it to many others. Uh, I give many ways to journal and, you know, the best practices and all the things. But I find that journaling is how God clarifies my thoughts. And it's how the Holy Spirit guides my decisions and, and heals my, um, I have a lot of emotional wounds and it helps to heal those wounds. And so I find journaling a path to healing as much as anything else. Okay. And I say, if you trust God enough to surrender those past situations that were so hurtful, you can begin to find some answers. And I have found some in, with, through journaling. My journaling's like letters to God. And so it's like a conversation and it's a place where I can dialogue and help figure out my life. And right. it really teaches me who I am and who God is and, and sometimes what motivates others. Yes. How does, how does journaling help us through particularly hard personal times? It's, it's often hard for me to write about a crisis when I'm going through it. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to write in retrospect and go mull over things, but journaling can heal wounds, as I said. And let me give you an example. I used to avoid funerals because of my father's early death. Mm-hmm. And journaling helped me heal that wound. I mean, in this way. Now, when someone dies, I journal about it, about the person and the services and all that, but I'm always comparing it to my father's death. And so that comes up every time. I've gotten no answers to why my father died when he was 46, but I've gotten insight into why my sister and my mother reacted the way they did and why I reacted the way I did. Mm. And getting that insight makes me more compassionate. And I I think that that makes me more able to relate to people that that's, that's the story that they're living through right now is some grief or some kind of a loss. And I can truly say, I, I really have been there and I really understand and tell them a tiny little bit of my story, not overshadow what they're feeling just a little bit and say, you know, this is how, this is what helped me. And this is what God did for me. And, and he'll do, he'll do something like that for you. And so they don't despair maybe so much or not so soon. Very good. Um, there's a lot of, uh, upset people right now with regard to the, um, the crisis within the church, the Catholic, the, uh, abuse, um, issues. What, what do you say to someone, to a Catholic, for example, who is struggling with, um, hearing this kind of thing day in and day out? And how do they, how do they focus on living for Christ when there are so many awful distractions, uh, from inside the, our own church. Carl, I think this is the kind of thing that you can take to God in your journal and say, on an individual situation-by-situation situation basis, okay, we're, we all know that God's in charge and that this this is not every priest or every church is not going to be the same. And we have to have faith in that God is, that our church is what God has founded. And it's not, it's going to last. We have to be, you know, like I say, on the battlefield helping people. But I think that, that when you, when you, when you journal about it, when you take it to God and you say, tell help me with this, that, that you'll get some answers. You may get 
You may not get all the answers, but you'll get a peaceful feeling that maybe he is in charge. Maybe maybe things are going to be okay. Right. And I don't get into arguing with people about things. I, I strictly think that as far as evangelism goes, that's something that's personal and, and like like the social media trends. They want people want to talk to, to the, about this to people that they can trust. Mm-hmm. And so you want to keep that in mind and you want to tell them about what the wonderful things that God has done in your life and give them some hope that he can do that for everyone and for our church and that he will do it. Yes. You know, let, let me say this. Uh, I love this quote. Let me, let me find this quote. Uh, St. Pope John Paul II. He, he said this, that the church needs genuine witnesses for the new evangelization, men and women whose lives have been transformed by meeting with Jesus, men and women who are capable of communicating this experience to others. So, mm-hmm. so he's told us, he's the one that told us that the most effective way to evangelize is, you know, through our witness. So I think that, that we can do that. We can override a lot of this negativity uh, by evangelizing, by sharing our Catholic experiences. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, the big ones, yes, like your conversion. We have, we have three wonderful stories. One's from conversion from atheism. One is from Mormonism. One is from Judaism. Those are great stories yes. that you can relate to people. But there's so many little blessings and, and healings that we we record in our journals. That, that the journal, my journal, is just like a storehouse of stories huh. that I can draw from if I find someone in a situation that could use a little hope because of what God did for me. And, and we can do this every time that the Holy Spirit gives us an opening. Because we do have the fullness of truth and the gifts of the Spirit. And we can use the tools of the world for good. And we can leave that positive comment that gives somebody hope. It's, it's so interesting to hear you talk about journaling because it seems like there are, there are four uh, aspects of it here. There's the uh, cathartic, kind of a cathartic experience of, of bringing that information out and making it more real, tangible uh, for you to grasp yourself and also kind of uh, in creating a, a little bit more objectivity about it as well. Uh, but there's also, of course, the spiritual element of bringing that also to to God. And then it seems like you're also saying that there's a, a kind of a creative dimension to it in, um, in ter- for the author in terms of understanding the character of people and understanding what makes people live and, and make the choices they do. Would you say that that's, would you say that that's correct? I would say so because I've learned, I mean, I did plenty of rant and radio in my ranting and raving in my journal against mm-hmm. God plenty of times, but I've learned that if I invite the Holy spirit, then I get the wisdom that I need to sort things out. And so, like I say, we have all the gifts of the Spirit. And we, if we use that in our journaling, and, and then we'll be using it in writing our stories, and we'll be using it to help others, because we do have that, that understanding mm-hmm. a little bit, little bit more when we look at things in retrospect. Yes. So, You're, yes, I think so. Very good. It, it is a creative. I, I tell you, I, I read, when I was writing this book, I... 
I was writing, 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 and then I'd be somewhere else doing something completely different. I get this great idea, a, a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. You probably had that. Yes. And yes. Maybe in the middle of the night, I'd be up uh, typing away. No, no, it's got to be. I got to change that <laughs> because it was so much better than I, I knew it wasn't of me because I couldn't have thought of that. Yes. Yeah. Holy Spirit wants this. You know, maybe that sounds a little biased, but I just really felt like that I was getting, I was tapping into that wisdom that. I don't have on a natural level. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. Yes. That's wonderful. Uh, well, Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story. Um, I'm really confident that this is going to touch some hearts, and I, I really thank you for sharing of your time today, and uh, especially since this was a re-recording and we've had some technical challenges, and I'm really grateful for you to uh, come on, um, on board again and finish it out here. Well, Carl, I want to thank you for sticking in there with it, with this, and also for stepping out in faith and sharing your story in this book. You know, there's somebody out there that that story has meant a lot of people just for them that only your experience can influence, and that's everyone has a story like that. That there's that a story that connects with someone else's story. Yes, that they're going through and. Oh, by the way, I want to tell you just since we just since we talked last week, I've just created a new Facebook group All right. where listeners can visit and they can share their stories. It's called sharing sharing. It's called your Catholic faith, your Catholic story. Very good. Your Catholic story, and so this is going to be about trust, and it's going to be about stories. <laughs> so you can trust people to go there, and and I really think that. You put something of your own on that on that side, and there'll be many people that will will um, relate to it, and maybe have a little more hope. Always be ready. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, Nancy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carl. You bet.